Good morning. It is good to be with you here at Park Avenue. Good to be with Lexington as well. Online campus, everybody's joining in. We are excited to have you. Can I tell you, if, if you're new as well, what I love about Crosses, even in the midst of all the uncertainty and just different things going on, different service times, that new people are still coming, uh, whether it's online or to one of our campuses. So I'd encourage, if you are new, Go to new here when you're done or let them know in the chat box that you're new. We've got a great team of people that would absolutely love to take care of you and answer questions, give you a tour, show you around, whatever you need. But there's a team of people just ready to serve you and just, just to make you feel at home. And we want this to feel like home to you. So if you are new or if you don't know me, my name is Jesse Ryder. I am our City Center Campus Pastor. City Center is our downtown ministry, kind of our serving center where we do a lot of just different service opportunities. And whenever I get a chance, I love to just kind of update you and, and everyone about what's going on at the city center because so many people are involved in so many different ways there, whether it's, it's through giving or praying or donating or just even just serving there. We have a terrific team of people that is from all the campus kind of come together and serve there. And so I wanted to share just a little bit about what's been going on there just so you can continue to pray and, and be aware of what's going on there. So a couple of, about a month ago, an organization called The News Store, which is one of our partners, reached out to us and wanted to know if we would be willing to do a kids' clothing drive. Now, The News Store is a great organization, and they do a terrific job of providing outfits and school clothes for children in a, a really fun and non-threatening and kind of non-humiliating way. They just do a great job at that. But due to the, the coronavirus, they're, they're unable to kind of do their normal dressing days, as they call them. And so they reached out to us and said, you know, we have the clothes. Uh, do you have any interest in doing a kid's clothing drive? I said, ah, I, I don't know. Let me think about that. We, 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 we've done adult clothing drives, and, and they've gone well. But I said, my issue is usually when we do them, we kind of fill up our building uh, full of people. And just right now, that's not like... The best thing we can do right now is just kind of load up at one of our rooms and have a bunch of people in there. Like this, it's probably not wise of us to do that. But let me think if there's, there's something else we can do to kind of be able to, to meet that need. And so we, kind of, we talked it over the team and kind of prayed about it a little bit. And we realized, you know, we could kind of do it if we did a, like appointment only uh, for, the, for the clothing drive. So families would RSVP online for time slots, and they would get 15 minutes. We'd bring a few families in. We'd take them out, bring in new families in every 15 minutes. And so if people would RSVP their appointments online ahead of time, and we would promote it on social media, all of a sudden it started filling up. Within just a couple of days, all the spots were, were pretty much full. And so then we, be, we had to start turning people away. because so we, we, we wanted to be able to practice social distancing guidelines and kind of keep people safe in those areas. And so we had to start turning people away. And then we had to turn more people away. And then, and then it got to the point where, man, I, I feel bad. I feel like we're just, you know, there, there's so, so much of a need here. Is there something we can do? And, and so we did it on a Friday. We, we had the clothing drive, and people were coming for their appointment times. We, we kept the crowd small. We kept people separate, and we were able to kind of practice that. And at the end of the day, we were looking around. and said we, we had some clothes left, and we knew that there were some people who would definitely benefit from this but just weren't able to, to make it because of our appointment style. And so we said, what if we did it again? What if just in a couple days we leave everything set up, we get a few more clothes, we bring the team back, and we do the whole thing again? And we said, yeah, absolutely, let's do that. And so in, in total, in two days, we served over 370 kids at the city center with, with, with outfits for the upcoming school year or summer, whatever it was. Absolutely. 
and so I, I tell you that because I love to just share stories about our team and about things that happen that we, we can't really plan on them happening. And it's kind of this common occurrence at the city center where I just kind of stand of amazement of what God is doing. And certainly we could not orchestrate it the way it happened or, or draw it up or anything like that. It just, it happened. But I had one of those moments the other day that was just, was just a little overwhelming to kind of take in. You know, we serve, our normal population is very under, under-resourced, uh, where access to food is often difficult, access to shelter is difficult, clothes are difficult, just normal things that we have every day in life are oftentimes difficult to come by. And so you can imagine that if you are an under-resourced person and then find out you are pregnant, there are a lot of different things that might go through your mind. And so we had reached out to Richland Pregnancy Services about what, what would it look like for you to be a partner with us in what we're doing at the city center. We absolutely love what you're doing and how you care for young families and new families and new moms. And what would it look like for you to kind of come alongside of us and, and be able to work with the guests that we serve? Because we, we know a, a lot of the guests are, are under-resourced, but a lot of them also are, are pregnant. And so we want to be able to be a resource for them. And you can imagine when you are under-resourced and tasked with, with bringing life into this world, that can be kind of an overwhelming, daunting task. Because you, you already are feeling you don't have enough to provide for yourself. And so we, we've kind of been in, in conversation with Richland Pregnancy Services and what they do. And we talked about some educational components where teaching classes and, and you know, giving incentives for, for new moms and new dads to take part in some of these classes. And then we talked about, you know, some resources, some, some different just things they could use, you know, prenatal vitamins, cribs, things that they could kind of work towards to get. We thought, is there something in that process that would help someone who is just feeling overwhelmed and like they can't do this, that they can't go through with this pregnancy? And, and so we're, we've been kind of praying and dreaming about this and and the director said, well, we have an extra ultrasound machine at our facility. And said, could we bring it to the city center and set it up there? Now, the one statistic that I can always remember when, I, when people are talking about abortion, that if someone is, is contemplating abortion and they see an ultrasound of the baby, they are three times more likely to not go through with that abortion. So I thought if we had the ability to have an ultrasound machine there and some of those crisis moments for people and set that up. So the other day I'm working with the team there the te- and they brought an ultrasound tech and he flew in from New York and he's setting up the ultrasound machine. We brought in this exam bed. You know, I'm just kind of standing in the room, really mostly in the way at this point because they know what they're doing and I'm just kind of standing there. But I'm just, just overwhelmed at what's going on in this room. Because I began to think, if we could save just, just one life, if there's just one mom who's just contemplating this and because of the services and because of the team members and because of Christ, that they are able to keep this baby, then this is all worth it. And I began to look at this exam bed that we have in this ultrasound machine. I just was kind of in awe that, that it happened. But then I just kind of like felt this burden of what the team members will hear when they're working with these people. Because we already know of people who are in some broken, abusive, difficult relationships. We know that we have some guests who, who are pregnant and who are just not equipped physically to be able to deal with some of this. And so I know that the, the team that will be working is going to be dealing with some heavy, difficult, life-changing moments. And so if you would, I'd like to take this moment and just pray for that team and to pray for the, the services there through Rich and Pregnancy Service. So would you pray with me?
Lord, we are grateful for the life that you've given us. We are grateful for the way you work in our lives. When things we couldn't even fathom months ago or think about or dream about are now real to us. Lord, we pray for those, those moms, those families who are walking through difficult relationships, through broken, abusive, painful relationships. We pray for the, those moms who are in, enduring just physical pain, who are malnourished, who are dealing with, with some other issues that have made it, made it difficult for them. Lord, our prayer is that through our team at the city center and through your work that lives will be changed, lives will be saved. That people will come to know your love for them through these services. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Amen. So if you've been here the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Weird. Talking about the identity of the church and what is seemingly the, the new normal, which is kind of the buzzwords that have been going around. The, the new normal, what life is now like. And so what is the church's role within the new normal? And so we've been doing this book study through the book of Ephesians, trying to figure out what, what is the role for church, not just here, but church kind of throughout the world. What is the role of church through this? And so what we see in Ephesians is that Paul is writing to Ephesus, and he senses there's some hostility between groups of people. We're no longer they concerned about proclaiming the gospel, but more about proclaiming diversity. And trying to, to break people apart. And so if you were here last week, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we read really some of the most kind of formidable parts of a Christian. Talking about God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace that saved us. And then we see that because of that, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so it's important for us to kind of build upon that today. Because what we look at today starts with that foundation. So in your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and we will start at verse 11. Page 977, if you're using one of our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And it's going to start with the word therefore, which is really kind of going back to what we just studied in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 last week about being created in Christ Jesus for good works, understanding that God saved us because he loved us with his grace. And so it is with that foundation that we begin this text. It says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the first thing we're asked to do as we read through this text is to remember. Paul encourages them to remember. Now, what's interesting is, is why would he ask them to remember? Let me kind of set the setting of what Ephesus would be like there. Ephesus was a, a popular destination for many types of people. It had a large Jewish community in it. It also was a popular trade area. People were coming from surrounding areas to do business there at the marketplace. It had a large pagan worship sister center specific to the Greek god Artemis. And because of that, because of all these people coming together, they began to see this animosity between groups of people. That people were beginning to get a little just upset and, and just kind of tense about what they were doing and why they were doing it. In fact, one of the, the popular occupations of that time in this period was to be a blacksmith who specialized in creating trinkets or statues to the god Artemis. And so you can imagine that if you are a worshiper of the one true God and you have a friend or family member or neighbor or someone in your community who's making a profit off this false God, it's going to create a little bit of tension between the two of you. A little bit of dissension, a little bit of just kind of back and forth animosity of why are you doing what you're doing? And you begin to kind of develop this attitude and this sentiment about them, about who they are and what they believe and why they believe it. And you kind of just kind of put them over there. So the first thing that Paul asked him to do is remember. Paul says to remember, and he gives him five things to specifically remember. They were, at one time, you were without Christ. At one time, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. At one time, you were strangers from the covenant of promise. At one time, you were without hope. And at one time, you were without God in the world. And so he asks them to remember these things. He says, remember, you were once there. And so even though you want to kind of categorize people and stereotype people and build assumptions about people, you were there. You were once there. And then in the middle of the passage, it says, but God. And he says, if it wasn't for but God, you would still be there. And the, the tone of the passage begins to change about what to remember to what Christ has done. And he begins to talk about what peace in Christ looks like. Now, now peace is an interesting word for us. Because it really depends on kind of what, what age demographic and maybe even what like, geographic location you come from as to how you might view peace. For some of you may have gone through kind of the, the hippie era and peace and love, and far out, and you have like the peace symbol, and when you think of peace, you just think of like, everybody just gets along and everything's okay. For others, you know, like my, my kid's age, peace is not necessarily something like that, but it's more of like a term of dismissal. If you're leaving the room, when my kids leave the room, peace, and they walk out of the room, right? And, and that's, that's how they would use the word peace in, in, in our house. And so you can think of like other ways we use the word peace. Certainly there are treaties, 
you know, or kind of between two nations or two groups or wh whatever it may be. But th those are really based on compromise, where it's essentially, if you stop doing this and you stop doing this, we're going to be okay. And, and so it's kind of hard for us to grasp what peace really is. And, and so as we read through this, we realize this is not about compromise. That the peace of God is not about compromise. And actually, in a book called Philippians, which Paul also authored, he talks about this peace of God. So in your notes, I want you to write down Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. You just reference this some point during the week. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second, but let, let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And so what tends to happen is when we read this verse, we kind of like agree with this verse. Sure, it's fine, it's correct. But we oftentimes don't, don't kind of look at the whole verse. We can look at, at verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And that can be a little misleading. You know, that's, that's kind of actually, if you have a Kindle or a tablet and you use the highlighting feature on that Kindle or tablet, this verse is the most highlighted verse in all of Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything. And it's one of the most popularly recalled verses. Do not be anxious about anything. But if you stop there, if you just kind of recite that verse, it almost seems impossible. Do not be anxious about anything. In fact, if you go into those same tablets, and in the highlight feature, they, they keep kind of statistics of, of who highlights what and when it was highlighted. The most popular passage that is ever highlighted in any book, not just the Bible, is from the Hunger Games book, Catching Fire. And the quote from that book is, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. This passage is highlighted more, nearly two times as more than any other book, any other quote in any other book. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. And then we see, do not be anxious about anything. Right, you kind of see this theme of just nervousness and worry kind of taking effect here. And really, our peace today is very circumstantial, almost like a checklist. You know, the, the kids are fed, the bills are paid, everybody's healthy, check, 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 I can have peace now. But what happens when one of those boxes are not able to be checked off? We see that, that, that circumstantial peace, where as long as things are okay, we kind of experience that peace. And if you look at the verse, it says, do not be anxious about anything. The word anxious is the Greek word merinamo, which could mean anxious or distracted. Right? And the, the word anything could really be translated to not 
even one thing. To not have one thing distract you from focusing on God. And sometimes in life, try as we might, we have peace distractions. Peace disruptions. Things that interrupt our peace. I don't know if you've ever kind of experienced this before. For me, it happened in a physical way the other day. I'm in my office at the city center. In my office there, I have windows that kind of connect right to the main street that kind of goes downtown. And then I have another window and a mail slot that go right in front of our entrance. And sometimes, you know, I, I love to greet people. I love to see people. But sometimes I, I need to, you know, just some time to kind of pray and study and, and read. And so there was nobody else in the building. I shut the blinds, kind of shut the window. And so I'm just, it's just me. I'm just studying. It's just very quiet. It's very peaceful. I'm reading through my notes. I'm just kind of looking at everything. And all of a sudden, now, everything's closed. There's nobody else in the building. There's no windows. Nobody knows I'm in my office because there's no one else in the building. The blinds are closed. So I'm sitting there. I'm studying and I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I hear this here, Jesse! I don't know if you've ever been so scared where you like jump to a different position. So I'm sitting in my chair and kind of jump up ready to do something. I don't really know what because I'm not really sure what's going on at this point. I'm very confused because nobody else in the building. All the windows are closed and I'm not sure who's yelling my name. I'm not sure where it's coming from. I'm not sure of anything. And so I'm just kind of standing, you know, adrenaline's kind of going. I'm kind of ready, but also I might need to change a pants. I'm not really sure because it's just been like a very scary moment to go through. And I'm like, where, where did this come from? Like the windows are completely, like it's not coming through the windows. It's not coming through this window. Under this window is a mail slot. One of our guests lifted up our mail slot and put his face into the mail slot and yelled my name through the mail slot. One of the most startling experiences of my life. And so now I've kind of figured out where it's coming from, but I'm not exactly sure what to do because there's just a man's head in my mail slot. And so I just kind of casually wave and he stays there. And I'm just trying to figure what, what's actually happening in this occurrence right now. And so maybe you've had that, that peace disruption before. Maybe not like that, because I'd never had that before. But you've had this peace disruption where you really, you wanted this peace. You wanted to have peace in your life. You wanted to have peace with God. You wanted to have peace with other people. But there's these, these peace distractions that keep happening. And sometimes, like in that instance, they're unexplainable, unforeseen, just kind of out of nowhere. You know, things are going well, and all of a sudden, a pandemic happens. Things are going well, and all of a sudden, a job change happens. Things are going well, and all of a sudden, someone receives a, a tough medical diagnosis. Things are going well, and all of a sudden, a relationship changes. These, these peace distractions. You know, and those are some of the kind of well-known peace distractions. But I, I think there are others that we sometimes fail to admit are maybe a peace distraction. One would be maybe the distraction of missing out, discontentment, where you just wonder, what would life be like if I had a different job or a different spouse or a different house or a different place or a different car or a different, in your mind, you begin to wonder and dream about these things. 
And in the process of, your mind begins to play tricks on you and makes you think, oh, well, maybe you could have it. Maybe, maybe it's okay to steal to get this. Maybe it's okay to commit adultery. Maybe it's okay to do this. And you begin to, in your mind to justify the sins because you're afraid you might miss out on something else. That would be a peace distraction. Maybe a, a peace distraction could be the fear of busyness. Right, where you just want to work yourself as much as you can, to do as much as you can, to be just everywhere and do everything. That way you don't have to really worry about accountability or life change or anything like that because you're so busy. There's no time to evaluate your life. You're just so busy and so you just work your way past accountability. You work your way past life change. And you say, oh, I'm too busy for any of that. No time for church, no time for prayer. I don't have time for that. I'm so busy. That would be a peace distraction. So as we read in Philippians, we, we see this, this peace with God. And, and what that looks like. And Paul talks about how to obtain this peace with God. In Philippians, he, he gives some specific things to think about. In verse 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's instructions were really to think about things that are going to bring peace into your life and not to be consumed with that will not bring peace in your life. But he also gives instructions to watch him, to look at his life and to see what he went through. Now, throughout Paul's life, throughout the, the New Testament, you continually see stories of persecution for Paul. But one that sticks out to me is found in the book of Acts chapter 16, Verse 16. Now, there's a lot in this story, so we're not going to read all of it, but if you want to write this down to reference later, Acts 16, 16. I'm going to kind of tell you the story. I'm going to show you one key verse. As Paul referenced in Philippians, to watch him to see what peace of God looks like. Paul and Silas were, were ministering in this town, going from house to house and just encouraging people about who God is and, and sharing, sharing God's love with them. Well, in that time, there was a, a girl that was possessed by a demon who would follow them around and mock them and ridicule them and be a distraction to what they were saying to other people. And she did this for days. And after a certain point of time, Paul and Silas had had enough. And they commanded the demon to come out of her, and she lost her ability to predict the future for her slave owners. The slave owners become angry. And they order Paul and Silas to be put in jail. But before they're even put in jail, they're not given a trial. They're taken in front of the people, stripped, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, and embarrassed. And then put in jail. And so if there ever was to be a real-life peace distraction or distractions, it would be that. It would be being persecuted, ridiculed, mocked, stripped, beaten, and embarrassed in front of your community. Certainly, that would be justifiable as a peace distraction. But I want to show you their response. In Acts 16, 25, after all of this has happened, they are sitting in prison next to the prisoners. And it says they were praying and singing hymns to God. 
Think about the peace that is being demonstrated here. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Knowing everything they had just faced, that was the response. Their peace was not circumstantial. They were not just checking boxes to make sure everything was okay. They had the understanding that God is still God even through our trials. That God is still with us even through persecution. That God is still the master, the ruler, even though we're walking through this difficult time. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The story goes on that eventually an earthquake happens and all of the prisoners' chains are broken and released. We'll come back to that story in a little bit. So we see what it looks like to have peace with God. Paul says demonstrate that to us in prison after they've been through so many difficult things. The next thing we see in the text in Ephesians is the peace in the church. See, we, we talked about that in this time, there was hostility between groups of people, between Jews and Gentiles. And so he's writing this to and kind of encourage them to work past those differences. And really, this is, this is a form of racism at the time. And so as we look at this, we need to understand, biblically, racism really has existed since sin has existed. And the disgusting ramifications that have followed with it have always been there. Now, it seems to be prevalent again or always in our culture, and it's terrible and it's unfortunate, but I want you to understand the, what they were going through here as well. Listen to the way and the tone they talk to each other or how they talk about each other and the view of each other. The Jewish people said that Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. It was not lawful to help a Gentile woman in childbirth if you were a Jewish person because you would be bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish man were to marry a Gentile woman, they would hold a funeral for the Jewish man because he was dead to them. If a Jewish man were to leave the city before he would come back to his own city, he would wipe the dirt off his feet because he did not want to bring the Gentile dirt into his area. You can see the connotation that is happening here. These ideas, these thoughts, these philosophies are going to develop into these, these negative actions. Right? When that is how you view people and believe that people existed for, you can see that negative actions will certainly follow. So Paul says... Christ has come to reconcile us. Christ has come to bring us together. To break down that dividing wall of hostility. And, and for them, they actually had a physical wall that would kind of divide who was allowed to go where. They'd be separated by this wall. So the idea of a wall was not foreign to them. They, they heard this, understood and that Christ has come to break down the dividing wall of hostility. And that can be difficult to hear when that's the life that you're living. And so Paul is encouraging the people of Ephesus to have unity within the church. 
that their goal was really to be able to encourage and build one another up. In fact, a verse in Hebrews, I think, really kind of states the claim of what Paul is trying to do. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You know, really, if we're honest and we look at the state of our country, the state of our world, I would say the exact opposite is happening for a lot of people. That people are trying to stir one and up, certainly, but not to love and good works, but to how mad can I make this person? How much hatred can I spew for them to get angry at me? How much division can I cause? So certainly there may be some stirring up of one another, but not towards love and good works, not trying to motivate and encourage someone, but simply to divide and break someone down. And so Paul tells them, that Christ has come to break down that dividing wall of hostility. Now, I saw a picture. I'm going to tell you how to, this is This is gross, by the way. If you don't like gross stuff or you're a germaphobe, it's gross and I apologize. I saw a picture the other day of what is known as the gum wall. Right? The gum wall is simply a wall of gum. Right? So what people will do is they take out chewed gum, put it on the wall, Someone else will do the same. Little piece of gum, put it on the wall. What's crazy to me is that even right now in the midst of the coronavirus and all these, you know, kind of social health guidelines, that's still a thing. That's still happening. People are still putting chewed gum on someone else's chewed gum to make a wall. Absolutely disgusting to me. But what we see happen is it starts with just one little piece of gum. And maybe one more piece. Maybe just another little piece. Maybe just put one more piece on there. And all of a sudden, over time, you have built a wall. A wall that is now dividing you from something. Now for us, hopefully your wall is not gum, because that's gross. But unfortunately, we, we choose to build other walls of hostility, where we just want to separate us. We want to separate whatever my viewpoint is and whatever your viewpoint is, there's no coming together, we're going to build a wall and I'm going to create that division. We're going to have a divide between us and we're not going to get along, we're not going to talk cordially, we're not going to be encouraging, we're going to build a wall and we're going to separate it. For some, it, it may be racism, right? There are people who will build a wall based on racism and create this divide there are people in our climate right now, it could be politically, that my political viewpoint is this and yours is that, and we will build a wall and we will not agree, we will not talk, we will not do anything. A, a popular social issue right now, masks. Right? You can find some sort of science to validate anything you want to your opinion on masks. And so then people begin to build their wall. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think, and you start building this wall higher and higher, and you create this division, you create this barrier between you and someone else. And what we see then is, is the danger with, with this, right? When you build this wall of division, you are breaking down the church, right? Because no longer are you missionally focused or kingdom focused. You are focused on your viewpoints and alienate yourself from anyone who does not agree with your viewpoints, and Paul says, that is not the peace of God. Christ came to reconcile us and to bring unity. 
Certainly, amongst this room, amongst this community, there will be differences. And differences are great and they can be celebrated. But when you take your differences to build a viewpoint or to build a wall that creates a barrier between someone else, it creates animosity, creates hostility, creates tension, creates this thought of, I want to see how mad I can get them. I don't know if I even want them in the kingdom of God because I don't agree with their thoughts on masks. Right? We begin to elevate things over being missionally minded. We think our viewpoint is what's most important. Not that they come to know who Christ is. Not that they have a growing relationship with Christ. Not their eternal security. But my viewpoint is better than their viewpoint. And that's where I'm going to build my wall. And so for us, as you look at this, you see Paul's intent is that peace will unite the church. That Christ has come to reconcile us. And we see that because the peace is really with a purpose. This is not just some random thing that's happening, but there is purpose behind the peace that we have been given. I want to read the, the last verse we read in Ephesians. In verse 22 it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We see that this is peace with a purpose, that we are being given the peace of God, not for us, but so that we can be kingdom-minded. When we go back to that story in Acts with Paul and Silas, they had been sitting in prison. The story ends like this. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. An earthquake happens, releases their trains, chains, they're all free to go. The jailer rushes in, sees what had happened, and draws a sword. He's about to kill himself because he was so embarrassed of what happened on his watch. And Paul and Silas cried out to him, stop, we are all still here. Nobody has left. And then we see the jailer lay down before them and cry out, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the peace that you have? I want that. I watched you. I saw you face persecution. I saw you get embarrassed. I saw you were ridiculed. I saw you were mocked. I saw you were stripped. I saw you were beaten down. And then, then I saw you worship and praying to God. How do you do that? Right, in Philippians it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Which means we can find comfort in the fact that even though we don't know what's going on, even though we don't know what's happening, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, there is a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And we realize that this peace with a purpose is kind of part of an education component that Paul is using. If you think of Paul as the teacher, kind of the letter to Ephesians as the curriculum, and then the church in Ephesus, and even now, are kind of the students. Paul is beginning to teach them what it means to trust in God. First, you have peace in God because you can trust in God. And then when you have trust in God, then you can fully submit your life to Christ. In the next couple of chapters through Ephesians, you're going to hear Paul use phrases like, I am a prisoner for Christ. I am a slave for Christ. 
Now, with us, those words often have negative connotations. But for him, it was demonstrating that Christ is the ruler and authority in his life. And he is willing to do whatever is necessary. Because he has the peace knowing that God is in control. He can trust that God is who God is and he will submit to him because of that. And so he writes this part to Ephesus to remind them of that. To encourage them to break down those walls of hostility, those man-made walls, so they can be kingdom-minded and focus on what truly matters in their life. They learned that this peace with a purpose was not about them having peace, but more so eliminating those distractions so that others may have peace. So it's important for us to understand the value of peace in our lives. Sometimes we can be easily distracted. Sometimes there there can be those distractions where they're just difficult. It's hard not to think about. It's hard not to worry about. It's hard not to dream about what might happen. But to find comfort and the peace that God provides. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And as we look at that, I want you to think for a moment about trees. You think, well, why trees? Well, just think about this for a second. For a tree, we oftentimes can only see the external appearance of a tree. You can see what the tree was able to produce, whether it be fruits pine cones or whatever it might be, you can see what the tree holds. Oftentimes what you don't see are the roots of the tree. Now, how deep those roots would be, and we don't know the shape of the roots, we can just see kind of that external display of the tree. And the same thing is really true with us. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. It's really getting at the heart of the matter here. That if you go after the heart of a believer, that if you go after the attitude and the mind and the heart, then you will transform the external. See, we oftentimes can put on a show, put on a facade to make it seem like things are okay, to make it seem like we have peace and it's not a big deal, but we don't really know what's going on inside. So Paul is going after this heart, where it's not just a checklist of things to give you peace. But what he said in Philippians is think about these things. Think about things that are worthy of praise. Think about things that are commendable, that are honorable, that are just. Think about these things. Train your mind to begin to think like this. And to not be distracted with other things. And to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And that's the phrase we see Paul use, rule. That God is the king of our hearts. And I hope and I pray that that is the same sentiment for you. That God is the king of your heart. That God rules over your heart. And that those peaceful distractions that we may incur, that we don't give them the validity because we know that we serve a God who is mighty, a God who is able, 
a God who is bigger than any distraction you might encounter. And that we can find comfort and we can find peace knowing that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. That you are a God who loves us, who cares for us. Lord, thank you for taking care of us. Even when we've been distracted, even when we've made it about ourselves, you are still there. You are still God. Lord, help us to learn that you are a God who is able, who is faithful, who is constant, steadfast. Lord, help us to find peace in those things, to not worry about the things of this world, but to focus on you, and to not be distracted about things that don't really matter, but to focus on what truly matters in life, honor and glorifying you. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you are excellent. You are able. You are mighty. You are all-knowing. Lord, we are sorry for when we've made this about ourselves and have been that distraction from you for others. Lord, help us to break down those walls, those distractions that we put up in front of other people. Lord, help us to seek out, to stir one another up to love and good works, to give us the courage to do that when it seems maybe nobody else is, that we will be the ones who will start that that we will be able to change our family, change our community, change our state, change our, change our world by being the one to stir up love and good works. Lord, give us the courage to be that person, to be the one that will stir up love and good works, to be the one that will speak peace when no one else is, to be the one that will help remove walls in the lives of people. Lord, thank you for reconciling us. Thank you for breaking down those barriers. Thank you. We love you. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us today?